1: Better to be alive than uh, to be in your house and uh, in ashes.
2: Tonight on the News Hour, evacuation orders in place for parts of Osuyus as the Eagle Bluff wildfire burns out of control, dangerously close to the town. Plus,
3: it has a huge impact on our frontline crews as well as the entire organization.
2: A 25-year-old wildland firefighter killed while working on BC's biggest blaze. The tributes now pouring in from across the country and
4: our investigators remained open to all possibilities at every stage of the amber alert and worked diligently around the clock.
2: Charges laid against two adults in the case of an amber alert for two children found safe in Alberta after a 10-day search. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Residents and visitors to Osuyus keeping a nervous eye on the wildfire fight right on their doorstep after a fire that sparked across the U.S. border this weekend roared towards their community overnight. Cassidy Moscone joins us now from Osuyus. Cassidy, what's the current status of the Eagle Bluff wildfire?
4: Travis, fire skimmers have been dumping water over this part of Eagle Bluffs literally all day, continuously circling between here and the nearby lake. Thousands of litres of water. The situation really started to escalate just about an hour ago. These pictures were taken just a short time ago by our camera crew. New spot fires igniting, trees candling up in flames. This is what fire crews have been battling for more than eight hours now. Right now there are about 55 firefighters tackling the blaze. Nearly 900 hectares has been burnt on the Canadian side of the border alone. 732 homes are under an evacuation order. A further 2,094 are on evacuation alert.
5: We're expecting similar weather conditions as of yesterday. Um, I'm not quite privy as to the directional of the winds but like I said it's something crews will definitely monitor. I think it's expected to be uh, windier than it was yesterday so it's kind of forefront, forefront of mind for our crews to be watching and see how that influences the behavior.
4: We have just under two hours of daylight left before all of the aerial firefighting equipment are grounded for what will be another tense night ahead for the town of Osuyus. Travis.
2: Cassidy Moscone reporting live in Osuyus for us tonight. Cassidy, thank you. It was the rapid growth of the Eagle Bluff wildfire that alarmed many in Osuyus last night. Kamal Karamali has more on how quickly it jumped the border and the hundreds of people suddenly being told to evacuate.
6: It's moving so fast right now. A sea of orange engulfing the horizon late Saturday night.
7: You could hear it
5: crackling and bursting as it was roaring up.
6: Inching closer to the town of Asuyas.
1: I could see the fire coming down the hill from my back window.
6: Many bracing for the worst, deciding to pack up and leave.
8: We spent the night sleeping in our car.
6: Kathy Love, one of many who vacated their homes, not knowing if it would be there when she returned.
3: The whole hill looked like it was on fire and all behind us, and we didn't know how close it was going to get.
6: The fire, which began in Washington State and grew to more than 3,000 hectares, jumped the border into BC, coming as close as four kilometers to the Okanagan Valley town. Crews worked around the clock, dozens of firefighters and heavy machinery, some coming from the U.S. And five helicopters working aerial firefighting, but concerns of boats getting in the way while helicopter buckets tried to collect water.
2: It's inconvenient for some people, but imagine those who are out on evacuation order, their homes are threatened and the fire operations have to stop uh, because someone uh, wanted to be in a boat.
6: By Sunday, the fire had lost some of its intensity thanks to cooler temperatures and winds pushing the blaze back.
5: If the wind switches back, that causes the fire to burn back on itself and burning back on the fuels that have already been removed or burnt for the most part.
6: Some residents under an evacuation order chose to return to their homes, but with increased winds expected Monday, others not taking a chance.
1: Better to be alive than uh, to be in your house and uh, in ashes
6: watching the horizon closely to see what happens next. Kamil Karamali, Global News. The Eagle Bluff fire has prompted a travel advisory
2: for a section of Highway 3. According to Drive BC, travel is not recommended on Highway 3 between Karameas and Osuyus. A detour is available via Highway 3A to Highway 97. DriveBC will provide another update on road conditions Monday morning around 10.30. As for the conditions in the Osuyus area tonight... Meteorologist Yvonne Schau joins us now with more on that. Yvonne.
7: Travis, no relief in the forecast just yet. It's been a hot one through the day today. Across the southern Okanagan for Soyuz, topping out at around 27 degrees. And we'll be watching that very closely with temperatures getting even hotter in the coming days. Through the day today, though, I take take a look at the peak wind gusts, though. We did have more of a northwesterly wind. That provides a bit of a reprieve. But through the day tomorrow, forecast winds are potentially going to pick up from the south and we could see gusts of up to 40 kilometres per hour. So we'll be watching the winds shift through the day potentially. Hopefully they'll stay more north to northwesterly but those temperatures will soar we can see that even in the temperature trend for Soyuz some of the hottest days are yet to come we'll be soaring into the mid-30s and potentially even hotter as we get in towards next weekend we've got lots of active weather with the risk of thunderstorms I'll have more coming up very shortly Travis
2: okay thanks Yvonne more tributes are coming in today to honor the life of a contract wildfire fighter who died battling one of the biggest wildfires in BC history Julia Foy reports Our hearts and our thoughts are with the family involved.
1: BC's health minister had several announcements planned for a news conference Sunday. But it was the death of a wildfire fighter on Friday that he paid tribute to first.
0: It's an enormous tragedy. People have come, as all of you know, uh, Many people have come a great distance to support us and our communities.
1: B.C. Forest Minister Bruce Ralston released a statement saying, I am heartbroken that another firefighter was lost protecting our communities and our province during this devastating wildfire season. My deepest sympathies are with their family and friends as well as their colleagues and the broader wildfire community, many of whom I know are still coping with the tragic loss of a colleague earlier this month. The death of the 25-year-old wildfire contractor from Ontario is resonating across the country. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau posted Saturday on Twitter. Yesterday, a firefighter tragically lost his life battling the wildfire near Fort St. John. He was serving others and working selflessly to keep them safe. We are forever grateful. I'm keeping his family, his friends and his colleagues in my thoughts at this painful time. On Sunday, Ontario Premier Doug Ford tweeted, Our deepest sympathies go out to the loved ones of the young Ontario firefighter who tragically lost his life battling the wildfires in B.C. Words cannot express the gratitude I feel for all of our frontline heroes for your bravery and selflessness every day.
0: So crews can safely fall up behind with uh, water tenders and hose and extinguish the hot spots.
1: Following the fatality, all ground suppression staff were temporarily stood down. But Sunday, 30 crew members are back at work, on the ground and in the air. And
3: the BC Wildfire Service is doing everything that they can to ensure that all of our staff members and crew members um, and everyone else impacted has the supports they need at this time um, to grieve and, and get
1: through this process. Julia Foy, Global News. Progress
2: is being made on a fire that broke out at the old Tolco Mill site in Merritt on Saturday. Video sent in by viewers shows a bunch of smoke rising from the site. Fire crews were quick to attend, aided by support from the air. More resources were also called in. The fire was highly visible from the city and the nearby highways. The city of Merritt is also warning people not to fly drones near fires after one was spotted close to the fire. The city added most residents affected by the fire were likely able to return home this afternoon. There is relief tonight that two children missing for weeks have been found safe and sound. For 11 days, an Amber Alert was issued looking for any sign of them and it was finally lifted last night when Surrey RCMP say the kids were located in Alberta. Grace Key reports.
4: The plan came together extremely quickly. Our investigators only became aware of this property at approximately 10 o'clock a.m. yesterday.
9: An 11-day Amber Alert has ended after two children were found on a rural property near Edson, Alberta, along with their mother, her boyfriend, and an elderly man. Police previously said the woman's father was traveling with them. The group was renting a home near Edson. About nine hours after discovering their location, police found the children.
4: And had the children safely within their custody by approximately seven twenty PM Um, and that included having the children's father present at a local police detachment there so that as soon as they were recovered that they could be brought to him to receive, you know, the comfort and support that um, undoubtedly, they would need after this ordeal.
9: The mother has been charged with two counts of abduction and contravention of a custody order. Her boyfriend is facing two counts of abduction of a person under 14. Police believe the grandfather did not aid in the abduction. Global News is not identifying the suspects to protect the privacy of the children. Police released images of their vehicles and security footage of where they had been spotted. 435 tips came in, some as far as New Brunswick. The children left for a planned vacation on June 28th. On July 7th, they were spotted at a gas station in Merritt. The mother was last seen on July 15th at a Kamloops grocery store. On the 17th, the children were not returned to their father. The next day is when police believe the group began their stay in Edson. The following day, an Amber Alert was issued, and on Saturday, the children were recovered. The mother and her boyfriend are still in custody in Alberta, awaiting their next court appearance. Grace Key, Global News.
2: A 21-year-old man who was stabbed earlier this month in Campbell River has been attacked once again. The family of Colin Dubay Wheat confirmed to Global News he was the victim of Friday's attack at a home on Cedar Street. Campbell River RCMP say the victim was stabbed multiple times by a 22-year-old, adding both parties knew each other. Two officers were injured during attempts to arrest the suspect, who was also taken to hospital. Police say drugs are believed to be a factor. This attack comes just weeks after Dubay Wheat was stabbed in downtown Campbell River and required open-heart surgery. A GoFundMe to help cover rent and bills raised more than $20,000. His family says they're living a nightmare, adding the community has been supportive and there may be those who are confused and looking for answers. They say they will honour all donation refund requests. Well, still to come, Schoolhouse on the move where this historic Kitsilano building, spared from demolition, is going. Also ahead, the homegrown approach to treating hepatitis C that the province says will help eliminate the disease. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm
3: here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
2: trying to piece together why a small plane crashed into the mountains Friday night. All six people on board were killed. As Heather Yorick's West explains, visibility at the time may have been a factor.
3: This day-use area at the base of Mount McGilvery in Kananaskis, Alberta, is full of hikers who are unaware of the tragedy that unfolded on the Rocky Mountain face above. Investigators from the Transportation Safety Board were on site Sunday morning taking photos of the area as they began an investigation into what went wrong. The small plane, a Piper PA-32 like this one, was traveling from Calgary to Salmon Arm BC on Friday. But 30 minutes into its journey, contact was lost. The wreckage was found on Saturday morning. Recovery crews say conditions at the time were very cloudy with low visibility investigators will look at whether that kind of low cloud cover impacted friday's crash
0: as an accident investigator uh, you want to know the background you want to know the maintenance history on the airplane you want to know the flight plan that the pilot filed you want to know the training background in the background of the pilot
3: the bodies of six people as well as several larger pieces of the plane have been taken down from the mountain but tsb investigators say several smaller pieces of the aircraft remain at the crash site the investigation is expected to take several days heather urex west global news kananaskis alberta
2: the provincial government has set a goal to eradicate hepatitis c in british columbia by 2030. Health Minister Adrian Dix says 16,000 people are currently living with chronic hepatitis C, also known as the HCV virus. Five years ago, the province fully subsidized antiviral treatment for hepatitis C. Since then, other measures have been taken, including testing thousands of people for hepatitis C who may not know they have it. Dix says this new strategy will prevent disease and save health care costs.
0: To achieve uh, this goal, the BC Centre for Disease Control, uh, we'll work closely with other uh, outstanding healthcare providers such as the BC Centre for Excellence in HIV-AIDS and advocacy groups such as the BC Hepatitis Network by sharing relevant data. This work together, this coming together of organizations in healthcare to achieve even better outcomes uh, than the country-leading outcomes we have in BC is, is important if we are to achieve this goal.
2: Today's announcement comes on the heels of World Hepatitis Day, which was this past Friday. A little yellow schoolhouse that has sat on a corner in Vancouver's Kitsilano neighbourhood for decades is making a move this week. The 1912 building will be relocated from the corner of Maple Street and Cornwall Avenue to the Squamish Nation near North Vancouver. The decision saves the 111-year-old schoolhouse from demolition by the Vancouver School Board. Developer Glenn Lewis negotiated a plan with the VSB to move the building.
6: It's going to the Squamish Nation Reserve, which is right next to the Lionsgate Bridge, uh, right next to the Chief Joe Matthias Centre. And it's going to be, the building's going to be repurposed as a early childhood learning centre for young Squamish children to learn their language and culture.
2: The schoolhouse will be loaded out on Tuesday night to Kitsilano Beach before moving onto a barge during high tide. It will sit in English Bay for a few hours until the next high tide before it's floated around Stanley Park under the Lionsgate Bridge to its new home. Ahead on global news, the social impacts of wildfires. A UVic researcher takes a deeper look at past fires in the interior and the gaps in assistance for people affected. Also ahead, the prolonged drought hitting ranchers hard. The government help cattlemen are now calling for. Returning to our top story now in the Okanagan, where crews are battling a wildfire dangerously close to Osuyus. The Eagle Bluff fire sparked about 20 kilometers south of the U.S. border on Saturday and within hours jumped into Canada. Our Cassidy Moscone joins us now from Osuyus. Cassidy, what can you tell us about the current status of this wildfire?
4: Well Travis, it's not long now until nightfall and the firefighting aircraft have been grounded and the town braced for what will be another tense night ahead here in the fire zone. Crews on the ground will be working around the clock though. BC Wildfire Service has told me there will be two initial attack crews overnight working with heavy equipment to create those fire breaks as well as structure protection crews conducting night operations and patrols as well to protect the many homes here in the town. 732 of them are under an evacuation order. A further 2,094 homes are on evacuation alert. The fire has torn through nearly 900 hectares of land on the Canadian side of the border so far. Everyone here in the town of Osuyus will be hoping to wake up to some good news here in the fire zone. Travis.
2: Yeah, tense times for sure right now. Cassidy Moscone reporting live for us from Osuyus tonight. Cassidy, thank you. What we're hearing from more people close to Osuyus tonight is how surprised they were to see just how fast the fire was moving last night. What started as some smoke seen over the U.S. border turned into an inferno just three hours later. Grant Armstrong says it wasn't long before he and others began to get worried.
0: It started taking off and... The speed that it moved was absolutely incredible. And, you know, we're obviously watching it, but we had people, you know, locally here saying it was on the U.S. side. No worries. Uh, You know, there's no chance it was coming across uh, the border. But before you knew it, it was just right at the border and it was uh, just up above uh, the houses at the golf course. And you could just tell that it became panic time.
2: Many left their homes last night as a precaution before the evacuation order was issued. At this point, it's unclear when they'll be able to return home. This weekend's wildfire in the Okanagan Valley is just the latest provincial emergency to impact an entire town. And many are just beginning to understand the impacts such a modern disaster can have on communities. That includes a Vic- University of Victoria student. Krista Dow has more on her preliminary findings. Oh my
8: God, look at that. It was June 30th, 2021, when fire ravaged the village of Lytton. Now, more than two years on, little has been rebuilt.
4: The slowness of everything has been so difficult for people.
8: Some of those lived experiences of trying to navigate the unknown path ahead being captured by UVic PhD candidate and researcher Ashley Burrard. When you're evacuated from a wildfire disaster or when you maybe lose property and you find that out, you're in a state of trauma and nobody is handing you a guidebook and telling you okay here's what you do. I think this is 20, 2003 Berard has been studying the social impacts of wildfire disasters in BC's interior, interviewing former Lytton and Monte Lake evacuees about the challenges they faced. I'm seeing participants with really high rates of depression and anxiety or PTSD, and at the same time, again, they're trying to navigate these insurance claims while dealing with this trauma, and there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of mental health supports available right now for wildfire survivors. Gerard's research comes as B.C. faces an unprecedented wildfire season with more hectares scorched already than in any year on record. We've
3: burned through 1.5 million hectares of forest. In terms of communities impacted, we are just starting to see a lot more people impacted as the fires move from north to south.
8: In total, 30 wildfire survivors were interviewed with hopes more will come on board. My biggest concern or worry would be that we're not learning about that human impact and then implementing changes based on what we're finding that our participants or you know, community members are struggling with. Berard hoping her research will help inform government and policymakers as B.C. continues to see more devastating wildfires and more lives are at risk. Krista Dow, Global News.
2: And Berard is still looking for people who have been impacted from wildfires in B.C.'s interior. This can include threat of fire evacuations, poor air quality or loss, damage or displacement. You're asked to email her at aberard at uvic.ca. Well, with just a day left in the month of July, many global climate experts have already concluded this is the hottest month ever recorded. In the U.S., the heat wave has gripped the southwest for weeks and as Jamie Marocker explains, while there is relief in the forecast for some, reprieve from this unrelenting summer scorcher won't come for everyone.
5: Weeks of extreme heat have many Americans wondering when will it end?
1: It's miserable. I mean, I work outside, so it's just, it's even worse.
5: Heat advisories are widespread across more than 10 states from Texas to Florida. Phoenix, Arizona has been smashing records all month and topped 43 degrees for the 30th day in a row. There is hope monsoon rains could bring a wave of relief, especially at night. A much-needed break from heat so extreme, even cacti have been struggling to survive.
6: We talk about drought, and we all make a big deal of the drought that we're in. But it's more than that. It's much warmer.
5: This month's mean global temperature is projected to be at least 0.2 degrees warmer than July of 2019, the former hottest in 174 years of observational data. Our analysis does actually show already that July 2023 is going to be the warmest month on record. Not only the warmest July, but the warmest month on the record. July is traditionally the hottest month of the year worldwide, but experts say human-driven climate change and a predominant El Nino year are pushing the mercury higher. Heat and humidity blanketed the U.S. East Coast this week, too.
9: Heat kills uh, more New Yorkers every year than any other kind of extreme weather event.
5: As America's largest city returns to normal summer temps, many regions in the south are heading straight for more heat. Starting off August, with no clear end to the dangerous highs. Jamie Marucker, Global News, Houston.
2: Well, another celebration of light is in the books. Coming up, the sights and sounds of Team Philippines dazzling display as they close out the fireworks
6: festival. You're watching Global BC. A
2: church on Vancouver's west side held a special service today in honour of Pride Week. Canadian Memorial United Church on West 15th Avenue was lit up with rainbow colours during the morning service. Reverend Dr. Gary Patterson was the guest preacher. As an openly gay minister, he preached about the importance of inclusive communities and celebrating the progress made while recognising the discrimination LGBTQ people still face.
3: So we need to be aware And we need, in the week of celebrating and feeling good, in the bubble of Vancouver, say there's a lot still that needs to be done if we are going to be following in the way of Jesus. Not being woke or politically correct, but following in the way of Jesus.
2: The church will host a second queer-affirming service next Sunday. Following that, congregants will march in Vancouver's Pride Parade with other churches from across the Lower Mainland. Okay, Yvonne is here now with a look at weather. Yvonne, how are things looking for the week ahead?
7: It's going to be hot, Travis. Very nice to have you join us over the weekend. Uh, We are going to continue to track that heat. We've got temperatures that will be soaring. But first off this evening, we are still sitting at 23 degrees and we've got that light southerly wind at 15 kilometres per hour. A few other spots today, especially in towards the interior, are pushing closer to 30 degrees. Even Lytton today getting up to 29 and that temperature is going to soar. Lots of active weather, though. We've got severe thunderstorms. Watches and warnings. Now the areas of concern you can see that line of thunderstorms extending right in towards the northeastern corners of the province. Much of the central half even in towards Quenelle and including Williams Lake where we have the potential to see hail, gusty winds and heavy rain at this hour and even in towards the southeastern corners. These will dissipate but through the day tomorrow especially across the central interior you have the potential and the risk of thunderstorms once again. Big weather story that we're following this ridge of high pressure that continues to build and strengthen and now as it does through the week we'll see some of the warmer temperatures move in midweek onwards and potentially even taking us in towards next weekend. It'll even be hotter as we get towards the end of the week. So temperature trend, these are away from the water. Factor in the Humidex, it'll be even warmer and many spots in towards the interior with that temperature soaring into the mid thirties with no precipitation in the forecast, especially over the next seven, potentially up to 10 days. Fire danger rating wanted to give you a reminder, especially across the southern half of the province, we're sitting at high, a few spots into the southeastern corners now sitting in extreme and this will change and progress, especially as we get in towards the week with no precipitation and those dry conditions. The northern half of the province, though a bit of a blip, we're still seeing the potential chance for some showers. 16 as the high. The northeastern corners for the peace with a bit of instability and that risk of thunderstorms, and that's going to extend and include areas near Quesnel through the day tomorrow, especially for the afternoon and early evening. Southern half of the province, most areas basking in that sunshine, only getting warmer midweek and towards the end of the week. Whistler underneath a mix of sun and cloud will be up to 24 and across the island, bit of a blip near Port Hardy, slight chance for some showers and even the risk of a thunderstorm. Inland for Port Alberni tomorrow will be up to 26 degrees, anywhere between 23 away from the water, 26 factor in the humid X for a Monday, we're at 28 degrees and even warmer Wednesday through Friday away from the water, we're closer to 28. Travis?
2: Sun, sun and more sun. Thanks everyone. It's a wrap for the 31st annual Honda Celebration of Light in Vancouver. Team Philippines showing off their pyrotechnical skills on the last night of the fireworks display. Once again, hundreds of thousands packing the beaches around English Bay to catch the popular summer attraction. Vancouver police say it appears last night's crowd was the largest of the three-night event. And other than a number of drones being deployed, no major issues were reported. Just like uh, last year, um, whenever we get huge crowds into the West End, it's very challenging to police. It's very challenging from a public safety point of view to keep everybody uh, safe. But we really couldn't be happier from a public safety point of view. We really couldn't be happier uh, with how all three nights went. And the people who came out really deserve a shout-out for making it so safe. And city maintenance crews were up early, clearing away the garbage left behind by the crowds. Team Australia and Mexico took to the skies on the first two nights. The winning team will be announced Tuesday or Wednesday. It's always uh, surprising to see those crowds. I I should expect (laughs) to see them, but it's just crazy to see English Bay that packed.
7: Yeah. I was there last Saturday. And it really, built, yeah, it built up. So I can only mm. imagine what it was yesterday, though. Yeah,
2: a little too much crowd for me. I three's a crowd. This is enough <laughs>
7: for me. I'll take nice. this.
2: All right. We got, got some sports coming up and the Whitecaps are on the field right now uh, playing their Leagues Cup uh, competition match in L.A. against the galaxies. So we'll have some first half highlights of that. And we'll set up the Canadian women's soccer team's huge match uh, coming up early tomorrow morning against Australia. Pretty much. Uh, they're, uh, they're tournaments on the line. They have to get a result against the Aussies to move on. So we'll talk about that as well. Okay. Thanks, Barry. And still to come, he might not have his full BC driver's license, but he's a formula racer with a need for speed. The local high schooler trying to race his way to a scholarship in Europe. With August just a couple of days away, the province has already recorded the most hectares burned in history while at the same time experiencing severe drought levels. Urban dwellers may be asked to conserve water and let lawns go brown, but as Michael Reeve of CFJC News reports, B.C. ranchers are facing much tougher decisions.
0: While city slickers are only just beginning to see the effects of drought this summer, ranchers across B.C. have been struggling for months. We've been in drought since the end of last June. We missed fall and spring last year uh, because we really went from summer to winter and winter to spring and we didn't get the spring rains and fall so we're in a a progressively dry uh, period right now. The prolonged drought has led to a lack of feed for livestock. Boone did state that cattle prices have gone up recently but he's worried about a potential run on BC cows if conditions worsen. We're not dealing with crops we're dealing with living animals and so animal welfare is our major concern. I had 450 or so out there. In the Local garden. rancher and TNRD area director Doug Houghton mentioned his fields are currently the driest he's ever seen. We've got lack of dry land hay production in and around Nutsford and then you throw the lack of water throughout a lot of it and then it's a it's like a quadruple ham uh, quadruple you know bang thing and uh, um, it's it's going to be work in progress it's going to be It's going to be financially tough on, on these folks up here.
7: We will be supporting
8: projects that build capacity.
0: In Kamloops on Thursday for a funding announcement, B.C. Agricultural Minister Pam Alexis was short on details regarding how her ministry was planning to help the struggling ranchers.
7: I can tell you that regionally we have agrologists that are part of the tables with local government, with regional districts, uh, with First Nations to address those impacted by the drought conditions.
0: Some of the assistance from government local ranchers are looking for will be with regards to new initiatives around water conservation. We're seeing with early runoffs and, and massive runoffs, we're seeing the water escape much quicker than it should we need to be building some storage. And that doesn't mean mega dams, that means our dugout's a beaver dam type style. And we need to be able to do that because what we store above ground, we got about 90 times as much stored in the ground. And so there's things we can and should be doing. Michael Reeves, CFJC
2: News. After the break, Barry's here with sports. The Vancouver Whitecaps are in action, trying to advance to the next round of the Leagues Cup. Stay with
6: us. From the stories that affect us all, to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to
4: connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News.